How many of you have read the Bible last year? You read it all the way through. Okay, I didn't see everybody. Uh, I just saw a, a man in the church just told me he struggled. I, I don't think he got past the 10th grade, and so he struggles reading. He told me that. And uh, I said, well, how are you doing in your Bible reading? He said, well, I read it through four times. I'm on my fifth time. And I said, yeah. He said, I have to get up at about five to do that because it takes me about two hours in the morning to read the passages. But I do that, and he said, I'm on my fifth time, 10th grade education. Do you know how to read pretty good? You ought to read the Word. It'll change you. TV won't. And the latest movie won't change you either. But uh, God's Word will have an impact on you. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And uh, I'd like to be like a coach to you today. Uh, and not even a preacher. I want to coach you. Uh, pretend like we're at halftime. And uh, I'm going to give you a talk and to, uh, you know, they say midlife crises. You know what midlife crisis is? One thing, it's a crisis to find out that you might have already passed midlife. <laughs> I mean, you, you may have, uh, you think you're going to live forever, but you could have passed midlife. And uh, they say what midlife crisis really boils down to is that, uh, somewhere past 40 normally, 40, 45, because you know you're going to live to be 90. And uh, you'd give a little checkup on yourself. How's my health doing? How's my marriage, my relationships, finances? And you kind of give yourself a report card on how you've done up to that, that first 45 years of life. And assuming... You have whatever God gives you. How am I doing? I just recently took a car. We got a Honda, and uh, they did a recall on these airbags. And it's free. Just going to update it. It's dangerous. Factory's going to cover it. Well, it's got about 100, at that time, about 120,000 miles. I bought the car used. And I'm going in to get a free airbag so I won't be killed. Well, I get in there and find out after 100,000 miles on a Honda, the timing chain has to be replaced. And for the timing chain to be replaced, they have to replace the radiator. They're all one unit. I just want an airbag. Okay. And then brakes at 120,000 miles need to be looked at. I won't tell you how much it costs me to get an airbag, <laughs> get it back home. But I've driven enough cars that it was a miracle you made your destination without a flat or something bad. I've been poor over giving tickets before the tires were so bad. They say, no, no, you're a danger to the highway to drive with those tires. I said, but I can't afford it. He said, well, you, you figure it out. And so you know what? We don't like to pay for maintenance, but we sure like performance. 
And I want to try to give you something that may be helpful to you as you begin this new year. And I don't know how you've been doing last year, but let's just start clean slate, and we'll go to Peter's passage in 1 Peter 4. And I want to give you four things he tells us we ought to be doing at the time we're living in. And if I can get to it quick enough, the attitude it will take in you to achieve these four things. Four things for this year that Peter says you need to focus on. Four things. Right thinking. Right praying. Right loving. And then serving. So thinking right. Praying. Loving. Serving. Four things. Not a hundred. And it's amazing. He says, in light of it being the end of all things, you ought to do this. You would think it would be panic, a flee, hide, a we're at the end of the world kind of a scenario. Over 2,000 years ago, it said the end of all things is at hand. 2,000 years ago. How close do you think it is now? Well, he didn't say go build a fallout shelter. He didn't say move to Idaho and get away from people because the Antichrist is loose. He said because of the time we live in, that we've got only a little time, there's four things you ought to be thinking about. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's Word, an outline of how we should be living in light of perilous end times. How should we then behave? First thing he says is we ought to think right. And he uses two words here. The word self-control is, in the ESV, is a really a poor translation. They struggle with this word. It's made up of two words, zozo, we get our word salvation from it, to save, to make healthy. That's the word. And they combine it with the word frain, frainima, frame of thinking was the Greek idea. So it says, in your frame of thinking, I want you to be saved, to be whole. It was translated Keep your sanity. Think right. People that are insane, they don't have things in proportion. They don't know how to balance life. They, they just can't think straight. So he says, first of all, I want you in light of the times to pay attention to how you are thinking. Are you healthy? Then he goes on to another word that he lends, be sober. And the word literally was used of being non-intoxicated. We would say 
don't use marijuana, even if the state passes the law. I had a brother share with me today what he's afraid of. A lot of Christians are going to say, it's now legal, I'm going to use it because it has no effects. He said, believe me, I was on it for years. It has effects. What he's saying is, in your mind, in your mind, keep it healthy, think straight, remain sane. It sounds a little absurd, but he said, think straight, think healthy. And I ask you, how are you thinking? Who determines how you think? Who determines your viewpoint on anything? Now, there are several things we consult. We consult our heart. According to Proverbs, the fool only listens to his heart. If I think it, if I feel it, it's got to be true. And don't confuse me with facts. Because I, I feel it. I feel it. it it's just got to be right. That will make it so. Fools trust their heart alone. So it's a, it's a very sketchy mechanism. And then according to Proverbs 1, fools also believe their peers. They're always listening to what the peers want to do. And in Proverbs 1, they say, let's rob a guy. Let's beat him up. And you fall in because you're young, impressionable, and you're not thinking for yourself. And how many times have you done something because the peers were doing it? Whether you know it or not, this is a record of how God thinks. You want to know God's mind? You want to know God's viewpoint on money, sex, morals, heaven, hell, lying, not lying, adultery, immorality, evil, that's how God thinks right here. He, he's gone on record. Now, now, we do this often. I will believe the Bible if it agrees with what I already think. I, I know people, they have torn uh, Romans 9 out of their Bible. They've told me. They will not read Romans 9 because it talks about election. You know, Thomas Jefferson edited, he had, there was a Thomas Jefferson Bible. He went through the Bible and everything he disagreed with, he cut it out. It became the Thomas uh, Jefferson Bible because he, he was a deist. He didn't believe the Bible anyway. We have a way, every one of us, of using the scissors on what God thinks and cutting it out. I don't, don't read that chapter today. It'll mess with the way I'm living. Have you changed your mind about anything since you got out of high school? When I hear statistics that few men after age 40 ever read a book, they know batting averages, and they know what all the teams are doing, but they haven't had a great thought since uh, puberty. And they thought it was great until they got in 10th grade and found it was wrong. Have you ever learned to think right? Are you a healthy thinker? Are you prejudiced, biased? We're all, did you know, you, you don't know this about yourself. You have literal blind spots, and you don't realize how you come across. That's why it's scary to get married. She's going to tell you where you're blind. <laughs> She's going to be a mirror 
and you've been able to break the other ones. And you can break that one too because you just can't take it unless they're bragging on you. Whatever they say, you've got bad breath. Say, I've always felt my breath smell. Well, you've never smelled it. That's gross illustration, but you get it, don't you? How do you think? As you think, so you are. And so he says here, be sure you learn to think right in the times we're living in. This is a time for clear-headed, sane thinking. We're at war with the powers of this world. It's no time to think crazy. The arrows are flying. Homes are at stake. Marriages are at stake. Kids are at stake. It is no time for crazy thinking. You ought to think like God. When will you think and do what God says, you fool? And every one of us were born fools. We're fools from the womb, according to Scripture. And you only cast in your foolishness as you accept correct thinking. This is correct thinking. That's why you ought to read the Bible, memorize Scripture, and try to do the uh, kind of computer thing in garbage in, garbage out. We got a whole lot of garbage in us that we got to get out. You got to get all that wrong thinking. And what does he say in Romans? God begins to transform your life when he renews your thinking. Verse 2, 12, through renewing our mind, he metamorphoses us. He transforms us. But he's got to first change the way you think. Repentance is changing the way you think about the way you're living. And if you want to be stubborn and dig in, I will not be moved, you know. They love that hymn. I shall not be moved. And they're standing on the premises and singing, I will not be moved because you're acting like a fool. Ask for a teachable spirit. Ask for God. Say, get your thoughts in my thoughts. I want to memorize Scripture. I want to chew on Scripture because we're terrible learners when it comes to God's thinking. We forget it quick. Jesus said in the parable of the soils that as soon as you hear the Word of God, as you walk out of the meeting today, you need to take up your jacket, something because like, birds will start flying right over your head and grabbing every good thought you had. The birds of the air come and they snatch the seed up. And you say, what was it that I heard? What was so good? Why did I forget it so quick? Because the devil's like the bird of the air. They're going to come in and steal out of your heart all the things God intended to change our thinking. The second thing he wants us to do is to pray. If you don't think right, you won't pray. What we do, we worry instead of pray, or we fret instead of pray. But he said, I want you to keep your head clear so you can pray. Let me ask you some things about prayer. Just, these are just coach questions, not to make you guilty. Would you like a better prayer life? And, and I just used the word, you, you maybe like life. I'm praying for prayer moments, not a prayer life. Let me ask you questions like this. Do you pray? Just do you pray? 
I, it seems impossible that you be a Christian and not pray. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking for more than praying over a peanut butter sandwich. No, I mean, let me ask you this. Uh, when do you pray? Do you have any set time? Or is it, now, in my marriage, it's great. I've helped Carolyn's prayer life. Every time I get behind the wheel, she starts praying. I mean, and she's getting worse. So her prayer life is getting better. And she's screaming as I'm pulling out of the garage. So I know when she prays, God save me from this disastrous person. When, some questions like this, who do you pray for? Do you, do you have a, a list? Do you, or do you say, uh, Lord, bless all the nations, uh, bless this church, whoever it is. Uh, is everything in generalities? Uh, I've used the illustration before. You don't go into a store and just start saying, groceries, groceries. I want groceries. Well, that's wonderful. Anything in particular. Uh, and you can never give thanks for generality in prayer. God, just do something big. Do it. Thank you. When did God do it? I don't know if he did, but I've covered everything. No, 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 no. You want to be specific. The word in the New Testament is petition God. But prayers offer petitions. And the word there is a specific need is known. And you ask, who do you pray for? Do you pray for your wife, your husband? Marriage is weird, isn't it? Some of the stuff, you know, just a few weeks ago, Carol and I, we, we weren't doing too good. And one day I just said, you know what? I got the feeling we just don't like each other now. She said, you got it. Isn't that weird? I mean, we just said, uh, we don't, we're not unlikable. I don't know. Uh, you're just bugging me. Now, I didn't go file. But there's time. We bug each other. And don't look so sanctimonious. Good night. Don't be hypocritin' with me. You're married. I can see it in your face. Some of you don't, you don't even crack it. Some of you men. I didn't even hear that. Oh, you phony. Man, there's just some days we just don't like, man, give me some space. So the elders finally put a couch in my office, and it's been a blessing. It's been a real blessing. David saw I got a shower put in down there too. So, you know, it's home away from home. You know, this idea here, he says, I want you to pray. Who do, you, do you pray for your mate? Do you pray for your children? You ought to start with yourself. In your prayer list, work a circle where you start with you, and believe me, that can consume a day. Get up to date if you can, and then work out family, you know. If it was just your immediate family, 13 grandchildren, three daughters, three son-in-laws, wife, and then I include my brothers, my sister, uh, the in-law. Hey, I, I've got about uh, 25 or 30 people right there if I just name their name. I haven't even prayed for any of the elders, any of the officers, anything about the church, our missionary. Wait, 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 wait. 
do you have anyone you pray for specifically? You know what? I, I would say, that, do any of you ever pray for the pastor? And, and the reason I say that, uh, you'll be amazed at how good I'll become at preaching if you'll pray for me. I had a guy in college, he, he was always going on about his pastor, he just didn't like it. And I told him one day, I said, you know, Bruce, if you start praying before the service for your pastor, you'd be amazed at how God can change your heart and change the meeting. He came back within a month. He said, man, he's gotten good overnight. I said, because you started praying overnight. If you got the kind of preaching that you pray for, what kind would you get? Let's just bow for a silent word of prayer. Um, how do you pray? Do you uh, mix up petitions, thanksgiving, confession? Uh, do you ever get any answers to prayer? Do you record it? I keep a little journal. If I ask for something, when I get specific, I put the date I ask for it because I'm expecting to put a date when I got it. Do you ever pray that way? Just, just keep books on God. He loves for you to hold him to it, you know. You said here you would do it. I write it down. I, I was at a Bible college. We were always broke. I mean, we were broker than Valley's ever thought about being. We were broke. Fran was the bookkeeper. She knew we were broke. We didn't get paid through the summer. Uh, boy, I mean, money was short. Bills were plenty. And I tell you, when I started teaching them, here overhead projectors were the big thing. We couldn't, over, we couldn't afford chalk. It was bad. I taught in a room that was uh, where they gave shock therapy. And that's what the students thought I was trying to do. It was uh, like it, the walls, uh, kind of an echo chamber. But you'd have to, you, you felt good if there's new ch chalk. If there was erasers. Well, I want an overhead projector because I'm going into the 21st century. I want to be up to date on Christian ed material. We didn't have it. We didn't have this. We didn't have that. I made a list. I was the dean of the school. I made a list. I want this. I want that. I want this. For the glory of God, I drove home one day from going to seminary in San Francisco. I drove on campus, and there was this uh, truck there. Man, it was loaded to the hilt with all kinds of stuff. And I asked the president, what's this? He said, God just provided about four overhead projectors, about 200 chairs, a bunch of this. But I said, well, who'd ever thought it? I said, I just, I've got that in my prayer list. I didn't ask for this much. Well, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above everything you ask or think according to the power that works in you. You remember Carolyn, Fran? It happened. I got witnesses. It came in. Guess what I've not gotten from God? The stuff I don't take time to ask him for. It just, well, we sure need this. Yeah, we really do. We need it. We need it. Why didn't God send it? Because you never ask. Your prayer life in these days, do you have anybody unsaved in your family? I'm convinced my six-year-old grandson's now old enough to be lost because he told me he's a sinner and he knows how to lie. 
So I've got, I just asked the Lord this morning, do you care if six-year-old boys go to hell? Would you help me win that boy? Does he care? Prayer. Third thing we got to work on is loving. Loving. And look what he says about loving. Above all, I mean, top priority, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The love goes all the way to loving strangers. Hospitality was to love strangers. The New Testament believers couldn't stay at motels because they were all brothels. They were filthy and immoral. So the church on the run stayed in each other's homes. There were no motels for believers. Uh, and you would take in strangers and keep them in your home, furnish them a bed. All the church meetings of the first century were in homes. They never got church buildings for the first two to 300 years of church history. The church was the church of your house, not a building. They didn't have mortgages. They had them in the home. They met there. And he says, that's why be given to hospitality, the care of strangers, and do it without grumbling, because waiting on people's a lot of work. He says, how to do this? And he says this word that I shared some time ago with you. He said, love people earnestly, and I just repeat it. It's ectanes is the word, and it means strenuous or intense is the idea. Uh, it was love stretched out to full capacity. It was used of a horse in full gallop or an athlete who was stretching to the utmost. He would kind of picture the calves of the leg. He's in full gallop as the horse, as a runner. He's, he's going for the line. He's in full stretch. Every muscle in his legs are stretched. And he's saying, love each other earnestly. Just a minute. It sounds like work. Stretch, intense, gallop, stretch yourself to love others. Did you know what? This church is as friendly as you are. Is that why anyone wants to come? Well, they come because you come here. You know, I hear this, oh, I haven't heard about this church, but no doubt. People say, man, it's cold church. It's not a cold church. It's cold people. The building's not cold. It was cold the first service, but we warmed it up. The first service is the frozen, and this is the burning. Loving one another earnestly. You got to do it in marriage. You got to do it in family. You got to do it towards neighbors. You got to do it to a brother and sister. We made loving easy. It's not. There's some people only God was intended to love, you think. And then God says, I want to love them through you. Through, through who? Through you. 
Jim Cimbala tells the story. He's praying for God to save people and give revival. And he tells the story of a Sunday morning when a man came down the center aisle, smelled like urine, smelled like uh, vomit because he was a drunk and lived on the streets of Brooklyn. For some reason, he stumbled into a Brooklyn tab meeting. He was disgusting. And God tells Jim Cimbala, go down and embrace him and pray for him. And Jim, in his heart, thought, couldn't I love him at a distance? At least spray him. This man is dirty. This man is in no condition to be in public. But he said, when he went down and put his arms around this stinking street dweller, he said, God touched him. Jim, he said, I was the one that needed the touch. For I had become all too selective in my love. Go down to the rescue mission, second McDonald. And the Lees spent 30 years of their life. And the Andersons are spending their lives. We get around here, we got to be clean, 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 look good, good, good. And that's why the world doesn't even think they can get, get into our meetings because we've got to be really clean. That's for us, not for God. God takes you like he finds you. The leper found a friend in Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood that could not even attend a temple meeting because she was considered to be a defiling person. Jesus said, all you need is to touch the hem of my garment, and you'll be whole. Loving one another. In the last days, he said, the love of many would wax cold. He said that even in the last days, the church would fall out of love with the Savior let alone imperfect people. You don't love people any more than you love God. And only as you love God can you find the strength to love people because we're unlovely to start with. We got all kinds of weird personalities, weird views. People are just weird. Anybody ever take a Myers-Briggs test? Man, I've taken that. Carol and I are opposites. I'm extrovert. She's introvert. I'm sensing she. Uh, I thought, why did we ever get together? Because she's an opposite, and I was sick of me. I had enough of me. I needed an opposite. Why did we learn to despise what we chose? Because love, real love, involves real work. And sometimes we just soon backslide as to learn how to love. But the ID badge of authentic Christianity is not a correct doctrinal sheet. It's being correct on love. Those disciples didn't have any doctrine by the time they landed in the upper room, but they had learned to love. After competing, fighting, fussing in the upper room over who would be the best the greatest, and first, God finally took them through the book of Acts. They finally learned to love. And when they did, the church started expanding 
all the way through the Roman Empire. ISIS, you can't get rid of us ultimately. Communism couldn't get rid of us. We got 50 million Christians right in China today, and the bamboo curtain couldn't keep Christianity from growing because the head of the church is alive, and he adds to the body like he wants. He's alive. And he makes you love, though it involves hard, hard work. Then he says, you ought to be serving. And he mentions we ought to speak the oracles of God. That was a term for the Word of God. When we speak, it ought to be God's oracles. And when we serve, it, not, it ought not to be, oh, I'm tired, I'm wore out. He says, you serve in the energy, the power which God infuses in you. True people who have found their place in the body do not serve out of drudgery. They serve out as an expression of divine power. I had one of our brothers today said, you know what? The devil started talking to me when I got up this morning, don't go to church. He said, I wasn't here over 10 minutes, and I was already energized. I was praying with the brothers. We were stimulated by prayer. I was stimulated by the Word. Let me tell you, the power is as you do the will of God, God infuses His strength in us to serve year in, year out, year in, year out, not just a three-month stint. We sign up because He infuses His strength in us to serve. I was moved as I got an email during the holidays. Wayne and Faye Moore went to Stanford Hospital to visit Blanca Alcares, little granddaughter, fighting for her life. Busy time of the year. They sent an update. We were with them. We prayed. We prayed for the girl. I think of... uh, when Fred Lang was dying, Ron Hughes, Tim, Gene Schnabel, others of our men, we had Sherry Hines go over there and spend nights with this woman who's watching her husband die. Everybody in the body of Christ has a ministry. Bring up that list of gifts, uh, if we could, just... Let's see this list. Now, these are the spiritual gifts that are listed in the New Testament. There may be more. There may be, we know there was at least this. I don't think there's any apostles today. The church was laid on the foundation of the apostles. So they were a special group, 12 apostles. When we think of prophecy, we think of New Testament prophets that gave us the canon. But Philip had four daughters that prophesied. They didn't write any scripture, but they prophesied. And so you had prophecy going on in the early church. Didn't have a completed New Testament. So they had prophecy, had evangelists, people driven to share the good news, went everywhere pastor, teachers, as the church got established, you weren't needing just evangelists to come in and lead a bunch of people to the Lord. You needed someone to stay there, help bring them to maturity, whatever. But teaching, exhorting, word of wisdom, 
word of knowledge, which I think were supernatural beyond the norm of even today. Tongues, interpretation. Then when you come over here to serving gifts, ministries, our word deacon, waiting tables, anything, any kind of service. Not specific, but do anything. Uh, pick up a chair. Do the, if you see a need, you just do it. And by the way, you don't need to have that gift to get that attitude. It's called a work ethic. Just get over laziness. Giving, the most hidden gift in the body. Uh, no, oh, I mean, but no, we have the gift of giving. You may not be able to give of the greatest amount and have the gift that you just have this drive to want to go beyond the norm, always exceeding. You remember the Corinthians, they, out of deep poverty they gave. So they didn't have a lot to give, but they, they had a heart bursting to give. Uh, administration. And God didn't give me that gift. You know, I had the man tell me when I said, you're not an administrator. And I said, no, and you're not a preacher. None of us have all the gifts. Some of us, we wonder if, you know, organization, showing mercy, faith, discernment. All the, I mean, that's just a sampling of the New Testament gifts we know of. You're in there somewhere. And if there's others, there's others. I don't know what, I mean, besides your talent, just your DNA, what you brought to the table, your intelligence, does God have all of you for all of him? I think of, uh, let's say, mercy. I, I love that. I've, I've needed so much. I think of a letter that was sent to me. This is a pastor's visit. I received a phone call inquiring if I would make a pastoral visit to a middle-aged woman in the community. By middle-aged, it was her biological and not her mental condition that was referred to. Mentally, she was four or five years old, though she had lived 40 or 50 years. When I walked through the door, there she said she was bibbed, and trying to tackle a big plate of spaghetti. She smiled wide with wonder in her eyes as I sat down beside her at the table. Who are you, she asked, covered with sauce and noodle pieces. My name is Zach. I am a pastor, I answered. She immediately and excitedly responded, I have learned our father by heart, she said. Want to hear it? Oh, yes. I'd love to, I answered. After proudly reciting the Lord's Prayer, she went right into declaring Psalms 23 from memory. She said, did I do good? That was wonderful. You sure did, I said. Then she says, I believe in God. He loves me. I love him. He died on the cross for me. He will come and take me home one day. She said this quite seriously, staring straight into my eyes. It was as if she was assessing me. Then she suddenly dropped her fork on the table. 
held out her spaghetti-covered saliva-sprinkled hand toward me and said, you want to pray? Take my hand. I took her hand, touched the saliva, touched the spaghetti sauce, and touched the hand of a woman whose mind was reduced to that of a child who had the hope of seeing Jesus someday. Was that ministry? I don't know many people who want to sit in a hospital next to a woman while her husband's dying. Sherry Hines spent days there with that woman. Gene Schnabel went there. Our men went there. Ron Hughes, Tim, the Lees, one family after another from the church going by. That's called the body in action. Who will visit you when you're dying? And you will be dying sooner than you realize. For the years speed, they go quick. What does God want us to do in these last days? Think right. Pray right. Love all we can. And then just to serve. Four attitudes. I don't have time to look at 1 Corinthians. I conclude with four Ds that you must have to win this race this year. First, determination. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, I run as a man determined to win. Do you have the determination to, be, to live different, to be a winner? Two, I'll discipline myself to win. The Greek Olympics, you had 10 months, no women, no wine, strict diet. And if you won at the Olympics and they found out you broke any of the rules of the 10-month training period, they kept the reward. You lost the medal because the training was as serious as the event. Someone said the ring does not make the boxer. It only reveals him. What you do in private is the making or breaking of you. You see, what you do in secret, God sees. What you do in public, people see. But you're made in private when nobody's looking. Third thing you need is a sense of direction, the goal. Where are you headed for this year? Will God use you? Will God love through you? Will you pray? Will you think right? Or will you stay where you are? And then finally, he said, I fear that I will be disapproved after running the race. I'm afraid of God's divine disapproval. Some men think that's the loss of salvation, and it might be. I always understood it the loss of reward, because he's talking about an athlete and rewards. It's a terrible thing to run the race and to have never mastered yourself. If you don't discipline yourself, the Greeks had a term. A philosopher said, above all things, know thyself. If you don't discipline yourself, you can never train others. And the laziness and the entertainment and the addiction we have to passivity today is paralyzing our minds, 
our bodies, and our gifts. It's a desperate hour, a needy hour, and God's hands and feet are us. He wants to visit hospitals. He wants to love, abandon, even the stranger. He wants you to pray. He wants to meet you at the throne. He's planned to do more for you this year than you've even dreamed of. Just show up. But you've got to change your thinking. None of this makes sense if you don't think like he thinks. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. May we run the race. Determination, discipline, direction, and the fear of disapproval. You won't always be a winner if you don't discipline yourself. Run in the might and power of God. Our Father, I thank you that people who have lost their, their mind and reduced to a five-year-old can still say, I know Jesus. Even when dementia sets in and Alzheimer's takes over, we've got thousands of believers that will be in heaven. When a Francis Sylvester could not even recognize Donna when she took me to see her mother, she'll be there. Her mind's all well now. She's okay. Lord, whatever our lot, thou hast taught us to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Help us as a congregation to get our thinking straight, to get our knees in shape, to love while we have a chance, and to serve while we can, for the kingdoms of this world are passing away. Only he who does the will of God abides forever. Help us to do it. May we show love towards somebody, even as we're dismissed. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Happy New Year. Start running. <laughs>